episode 59 of Gaming BS. Thanks for tuning in to Gaming and BS, a, tape, a podcast about tabletop RPGs and other miscellaneous topics of geekery. I am your host, Sean. And I'm Brett. I'm the other guy. Yes, the other guy, indeed. Hey, I gotta, I gotta say something now. I was, um, I was going to the restaurant to get some food, you know, grabbing some food for dinner, and I saw mm-hmm. the picture you posted. Of, uh... <laughs> of you when you were a well, kid. Phil- that yeah, Phil, is hilarious. <laughs> Phil and Chris on Misdirected Market said something like, hey, you know, we should see if Brett's always had like a beard and tattoos, if that's how he's always looked or whatever. And they were trying to get Kevin Lovecraft, uh, buddy of mine, friend of the show and theirs, and Gamer, games with both, uh, obviously Gamer. Uh, he's in both Sean and my groups. And if he could grab a picture, and I told Kevin, I said, don't worry, I got something. I said, I'm pretty sure my wife will dig one up. And well, lo and behold, so there it is. Oh, my Google God. Plus. Is that really a picture of you? It is a picture of me. It, it may or may not have been touched up to uh, well, I, highlight certain aspects. But That is hilarious. <laughs> Hilar- Somebody's got some Photoshop foo. <clears throat> that would be the wife. Really? How? Like, cow, I didn't. Wow. Yeah. That's. <laughs> we'll put that up on the website and Twitter and all that other stuff so everybody could see what Brett looked like when he was a wee young oh. lad. A wee little gamer boy, indeed. Yeah, the wife, did, uh, Susan, my wife, did the uh, did the banners. We'll have a uh, game hole and stuff. Oh yeah, well yeah, we should tell. We should mention that. Huh? Absolutely. Uh, announcements. Yo. Should we get into what this? Do you got? We get into this thing or what? Yeah, yeah. Let's pretend we're doing a show. What do you got for announcements, Sean? All right. So I wanted to give everybody a heads up. Game hole con is in two weeks. Oh shit! Sean, yeah, Sean better start <laughs> writing up some freaking characters for his game. Hey, Sean, got some NPCs to write up? I got a lot. Is that of, what that panic look in your eye is, Sean? I got a lot of, I got a, sh- a lot of show pieces, but, uh, you know, it's going to be cool. I'll be there and like the presentation will be awesome and the whole game will just completely suck. Like it was great. It was like, really, it was, it was beautiful, but I don't remember <laughs> was what a, happened. It was a terrible DM. GM. We made some really cool things. We got to play with our, yeah. <laughs> All right, so Game Hole Con, the plan is this. Uh, for those of you that aren't going to be there, that's okay. And this is really kind of geared towards you. So we have, they have something like eight speaking seminars, panels, whatever you want to call them. And Brett and I, I said, man, I don't know if we, in there literally, they start at like, I don't know, nine o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning. And they, I think they start about eight or nine. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. Eight or nine o'clock in the morning. And then they go until like six o'clock and they're all two hours a piece back to back. Yes. And I had looked at this thing and I'm like, dude, that's a rigorous schedule. And on top of if we wanted to run games and kind of socialize and all this other stuff, you know, well, at, the- at first we're like, we could, we could grab a lot of these really cool seminars. We could, you know, record them all and <laughs> look at all of them. Like, holy crap. And so Alex Cameron and the boys pull together a lot of shit. One of, we can catch them all. One of the guys, Mike Mahalis, who's in charge of the guest pieces, um, had said, you're going to do all of them. And I thought, well, why not, man? And then I was like, you know, he's got a good point. That's kind of obscenely insane. So what we decided on, Brett and I kind of came together and, and, fig- and some input from Game Hole guys. And this is who we're going to, this is what we're going to do. 
So each day, we're going to do a recap of the day. And that's just going to be... That'll be from our perspective, obviously. I Brett, mean, there's certain things I, we may not have yeah, Brett and I sitting down. Maybe we have a guest on the show. Who knows? But we'll, we'll, we'll be sitting down, recap the day. We'll probably do that late in the evening. It's yet to be determined how we're going to release these. I don't know if we're going to release them at the con where we by little, literally record it and upload it and launch it, or if we just record everything and then after the con put it all out there. It, it, I would like to do it as it happens, but we'll see time-wise and bandwidth-wise. I mean, the internet connection may just completely suck there and I might not be able to physically upload it. But here's the deal. So Friday at 10 a.m., the con starts uh, November 6, 7, and 8. So it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's not a four-day con. Uh, I'm taking off Thursday. Brad, I think, is taking off Thursday, right? Absolutely. Um, so Friday at 10 a.m., I run, I have a game, and that's Weird Wars Savage Worlds. That's just an FYI to everybody. And that's full, by the way. So you got a full table of people. They're ready to experience these awesome player characters that you're currently developing. Five, five people. I got five slots. Awesome. Um, yeah, that'll be fun. And then at four o'clock, uh, so that'll be 10 to two, and then I got a couple hour gap. And then at four o'clock, which will give me time to set up for Ask the Bastard with the oh, Dungeon Bastard. Yeah. Bill Cavalier. So that, if you don't know who that is, um, go to dungeonbastard.com and watch That's his videos. Yeah, watch his videos. Uh, it's, it's hilarious. And uh, so Dungeon Bill will be there um, in full force, and then we'll, we'll record his session of what he talks about. Um, so I think they have scheduled, like they allocate these uh, panels for two hours. I don't know if each, if each one's going to be two hours long. So we will cover that. And that obviously with two hours will be at six o'clock at the end of the day, Friday, Sean will probably have to come home, let the dog out. And then Brett and I, depending on what's going on, I think I have a seven o'clock game that I may or may not go to that night, but uh, nonetheless, then we'll probably do a recap of the day as I, Sean, am right. Maybe running my game. I'll probably give Brett maybe a portable recorder and he can go around the, the uh, hall and talk to whoever he wants. I got to educate Brian on how to use the recorder and a microphone. What's this thing? What's going <laughs> on? How come people won't talk? Brett, what is that thing sticking out of your butt? That's not how you use the microphone. Shut up. Works just fine. All right. Anyway. Um, so moving. So this is just what we have scheduled. Brett, Brett's going to probably get, go, go and do his thing too. Um, Saturday at 10 o'clock AM, Steve Jackson on Steve Jackson games. So Steve Jackson will be there and then we're going to record him for a couple hours during his talk. And then right after that, literally at noon, um, D and D story seasons, the next big thing with Chris Perkins from wizards of the coast. So cool. if you play five E or if you want to know more about dungeons and dragons, I don't know the focus of what Chris's talk will be, but, uh, I've met Chris. He's a really articulate guy. He's kind of, a, he's a really awesome game master and uh, dungeon master. And so he's coming again. We'll record him. And then, uh, so I mentioned the recap shows probably Friday and Saturday night. These are all going to be released on uh, the bonus BS side of, of the podcast. So right now we're recording kind of episode 59 gaming and BS every week, Sunday, set your watch to it or 
and then we launch it on Tuesday by noon. These are all going to come through Bonus BS. Now, Bonus BS and Gaming BS's feed is all in one or separately. We have like three feeds. There's the combination feed. We have one that's separate of each. So get it just so you know. If if you've always subscribed to us from the beginning, the feed's never changed. Um, So I just mentioned that in case you don't get it. And uh, it's going to be, it'll be different than, so if you subscribe to the one feed, you're going to get probably one, two, three, four, five, six shows in one weekend because we're going to do recaps each day. We're going to do bill, uh, record bill again, record Steve Jackson, Chris Perkins. And then we're going to do our own regularly scheduled gaming and BS show Sunday, Sunday. night. Um, so the reason that the short version wanted to keep some people who could really give a fuck about cons and it's not, and not their thing. They right. don't care about live coverage. And if you don't, you can simply ignore the bonus BS stuff because it's bonus. It's not the show itself. Right. So if it's, if it is your thing, great. If you're like, yeah, whatever, it's not my thing. I don't care. Then fine. We don't take a period of time. Yep. That is just, that is just the things that we have scheduled. Like we are going to absolutely do these things. Now, if Brett's like, Hey dude, give me the portable recorder and a mic and he wants to go to the dealer hall or if he wants to interview Frank Metzer or, that Ed Greenwood guy or whatever, that's totally up to Brett. Um, and so we may have some of that. I don't know what that'll look like. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, five minute blurbages. Um, We're going to just do it ad hoc on that stuff. We'll see what happens. Yeah. If we get some good stuff, great. And the other pieces, you know, if we get something, it turns out Brett's a complete fucking Luddite, does not use a portable recorder and we have no sound or shit sound. Well, man, not post it. So we'll see what happens. Now I have been considering periscoping, so when we're not kind of doing all these things, I think we have a table. It's a kind of a media table out in the front of Lion Energy. It's kind of the lobby welcome space. It's open for other podcasters. Um, we may do Periscope. Um, I, I may get a stand for my iPad and then plug a mic in and then just have for that For those run. of us who are not in the know, Sean. Periscope, if you're not What's familiar. Periscope? Per- Periscope is live TV. So what we do is we hook... Uh, it's usually through your iPad or your iPhone. I uh, may and Android, I think is, is supported. It Periscope is Twitter's product, but basically what it allows you to do is live stream something. Um, you can plug a mic into it and you can grab the sound into it, but people can't talk back like we're doing with blab here. Um, so we may just set up a stand and have that running all the time at, at the desk um, and plug a mic in there so people can say hello and, and hey, we're at Game Hole or whatever. Maybe we walk around with the iPad and, you know, live periscope the con and look at different um, games as they're occurring or, hey, there's Bill and hey, there's, you know, um, Frank and, uh, yeah. We'll see what we can do. Merle Rasmussen from Top Secret and Steve Jackson. We just start like bringing them on and just saying, hey, look. Here, hey, what's going on, Steve? What do you what do you think of the con so far? We'll just periscope it live. Um, I think that might be cool. I don't know if I have the equipment um, to do to do the periscope really well. I don't. The iPad uh, mic in the iPad will work just fine, but um, it'd be nice to get like an actual microphone that sounds really good. And I don't. I mean, I. It's more money for me to spend stuff on, you know. So. <laughs> Whatever. It's an investment, right? So anyways, if you have any questions about GameholeCon, if you're coming, we're looking forward to meeting you. By all means, you got to come up to us. 
Brett and his uh, fa- our favorite number one fan has actually done some banner ads for us. We're gonna have some bookmarks that people can use. Buttons got buttons. Got to give some away. buttons to give away. Um, buttons may or may not get you a beer. We'll see what happens. Oh, I don't know. Oh. I might I might have to do something there. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, wait, oh, oh, wait. But uh, yes. Anyway, yeah, we're looking to have a good time. And if you can't make it, that's cool. We're gonna hope to capture some of the essence and throw it out there for everybody to hear and. Hopefully it entices you to come next year. Sound good, Brett? I think that works, man. All right. Let's get into Random Encounter. Random Encounter is the element of the show where we talk about voicemails, emails, and media comments from social media and our blog from folks that comment on those things. You, the listener, thank you. So we've got a couple this week, looks like. Looks like. Looks like some You want to take one of these or what? Well, uh, you 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 uh, had a lot of a lot of time there, so I'll I'll grab this one from Matt Martinez on <clears throat> excuse me our Google Plus comments from a previous email from uh, Mike Walsh on episode fifty eight, the last one we just talked about. Mike had talked about a fate accelerated fate point mechanic breaking immersion. We talked about this last time. Mike had said, "What do you guys think?" We rattled a little, a little bit on it, and Matt Martinez says, <clears throat> "So if Mike Walsh's fate ambivalent player." The same person who posted to the Facebook tabletop RPG one-shot group. Here's what the player had to say. Quote, if a lesson in fate had a lesson in fate tonight, the GM was telling me how he could offer us fate points to do things, and I had to physically stop myself from screaming, metagaming, at him. So does the system really encourage you to speak out of character? Really? I heard it was supposed to be a great system to encourage role-playing, but perhaps not immersion. Hmm, or immersion, depending if you're slurring your words or not. Um... So further down the thread, when someone else tried to explain to him how compelling works, he replied, quote, well, I can compel my own character just fine without someone taking talking to me out of character. Um, Matt goes on to say, I think you bring up a good point, though, in that and that telling a player that he or she has a plus or minus five to a die roll or, or is at advantage or disadvantage to roll is just as much out of character as handing him or her a fade point and compelling or invoking an aspect. Perhaps it's not fair of me. And this is Matt, of course make this assumption but i just got the impression that since this mechanic <clears throat> was so different from anything else you previously used to the player automatically felt that it was bad wrong fun uh, the parenthetical side is also it's possible that uh, matt is wrong and that the player mike walsh was talking to isn't the same person it just seemed that the timing and the subject matter were too perfect to be coincidental so matt i gotta agree with you i think that's probably <laughs> the same individual that we got there so kind of the uh the fun piece of um Excuse me. The fun bit of uh, social media is you can actually cross-reference people's bad or good things and and sort it out. I still think I I commented on this as well. I'm I still believe that my example of the plus five minus five on a die roll or advantage disadvantage is no different. It is a um, <clears throat> sometimes the the language itself can have a, a connotative meaning. If you say I'm compelling you, some people may think that feels very out of character and or has just a bad connotative feel to them. They don't like those words for whatever reason. So I could see that causing some problems or whatever. But, you know, and the other thing, you know, as we've said many times, other and other folks like uh, Chris and Phil over at Mr. Director Marco said, you know, sometimes the game's not for you. It's not your thing. You can totally do it without it. And if that is something, if you have a player who desperately wants immersion and that type of language or focus uh, they feel it's yanking them out of that world. I guess that's not the game for them. You know, enough said there. Sean, anything else? Uh, no. 
Well, that was easy. <laughs> yeah, I don't have I don't have much to comment on that one. It's uh we've we've hashed I, I've hashed out a little bit on it, and uh, yeah, it's a, so. I mean, in order to comment intelligently, I'd have to have a little bit more insight into fate, and I just haven't played enough of it. But I think it's just preference, you know. If you um, if you feel as though it breaks immersion and because of the mechanics, then totally get it. The other thing I would all, I would say again is that you're learning a new system. To expect full system immersion in your first session is probably not going to happen that often. Well, yeah, especially- some systems some systems may be totally ass kicking awesome, and you're just immersed right out of the gate. But you know what? You're learning a new system. It has new mechanics. You're gonna have to break the fourth wall and talk to the damn game masters yep. and ask them rules questions. So yep. anyway, yep, yep, yep. Next one's yours. Next one's yours. All right, next one. So Jeff Rodemacher, uh, he comments on uh, off of episode fifty-eight, which we did wimp or badass when you start your our role playing game. So he says, "Let me ask because you didn't really go into it. What are the pros and cons of the level grind?" Also of starting out higher. Seems to me that starting at a higher level allows you access to more powers, but the world around you also ratchets up to meet you where you are. That is very valid. So that's a good point, which it's like, well, I start out at his first level in Pathfinder, which I think is a little, I, I think it's safe to say that it's a little different than if you start out at first level in first edition AD&D. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, first edition AD and D step on a fork, you're dead. And what Brett or what Brett, what Jeff is talking about is if you start on first level Pathfinder, you might be tougher, but you're still wimpier in that game system. So then as things ramp up, your CRs ramp up and it's kind of like this parallel graph, right? As you ramp up the it, the monsters and the encounters ramp up the same. Yeah. I I don't see that in AD and I think everything's deadly in AD and D. Well, AD and D doesn't have the concept of the CR, right? No. There is no mapping of saying, "Oh, a purple worm, and you're only fourth level." That doesn't make sense, right? In AD and D, be like, "You didn't run away from the purple worm. Of course, you're fucking dead, right?" You know. So there's the big <laughs> difference. I think. I hope that clears it up for Jeff. Now, the grind, the pros and cons of the grind. I think the 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 con of the grind is you might not make it through the grind. So you're going yeah, to the potentially higher death rate. And the other piece, if you're playing a game system that is built on a grind, right? Where dungeon crawl classics, any of the, uh, the, the D20 games, you have twenties and so on, or anything that has a climb like that, where you don't, it's not natively designed to start off as a 10th level, whatever you have, it feels like because the system doesn't have any, and it's not like you can't come up with an out of system solution for this, but the system does not have a way for you to make up all that table time, right? That the behind the screen or in front of the screen time that you had quote unquote earning all 10 of those levels. Um, so I think, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think that sometimes there is a feeling of, not, not cheating is a horrible phrase for that, but it feels like you circumvented something. You just kind of leapt ahead and um, and whatever. So in a level crunching system, I think that's just something that you, it feels very artificial. Where a game like GURPS or whatever, it's designed to say, hey, you know, you're a 150 point or a 300 point character. It's The game is built like that. And as we said last time, Gumshoe, um, with Knights Black Agents, you start out badass because that's just the way the system's designed right out of the gate. Yeah, it all, I mean, it's kind of, so I think when the people 
just to comment on Jeff, I think when people want to start out like, hey, man, I kind of want to start out at like fifth level. Or I want to, hey, man, can we start out at 10th level? I think people that want to do that, there is an element of gameplay that you will encounter at those levels. When we, And this is obviously speaking about specifically level and D&D-ish games, um, D20 derivatives, what have you. But when you start out at fifth or 10th, you don't maybe want to deal with the little, the smaller stuff. Okay, great. It's always goblins. It's always kobolds. It's always like these smaller level hit point encounters to deal with where this is more, uh, maybe you want to get into like, I want to start battling dragons and I can't if I'm only second level. So I want to get into the real thick of the big meaty gritty badass monsters or the, you want your you want your character to have that much more power. So, you know, if you're a wizard or a magic user in AD&D and you're going to start out at your fifth or 10th level, you're going to want the big fireball and the big, huge kabooms where at the beginning levels, you're just not going to have those. So that's the big difference. We talked about a little last time I mentioned you can, you can tweak it, right? I can have a red dragon that's defeatable by a second level party, right? It's yeah, young, you want it's small, whatever. Well, yeah. <clears throat> but you've got to nerf the shit out of it, right? Is right. what happens. Even in even in the monster manual or any variation on that, it's usually designed to be a big badass son of a bitch critter. So liches, again, big powerful creature or wherever they are. You take Savage Worlds, even there's different levels of play within Savage Worlds, and um, by by being tenth level or being that uber level or, or stepping up, you do have access to more power. And uh, then you don't have to, as a game master, there is a nice bit then when I'm like, you know what? I don't want to have to spend the time to nerf the Lich to make it something fifth level characters can fight. You can play it as is. You just got to be a CR level that matches that matches it as such. That's right. And so it can be easier. Yes. That, I, I hope, think, that, well, I hope said, that helps. I think so. Hey, Jeff, if nothing else, you're coming to Game Hole, man. I will be more than happy to sit down, BS with you, grab a beer or two, and uh, hash this out further. Yeah. Right. Be there and we'll, he's in my game, I think. Yes, he is. I'm pretty sure he oh, is. Oh, shit. If nothing else, he's got to come back to me and go, dude, how, how, I don't, what, what, why didn't you warn me? Fucking, I don't understand. This Sean is so guy. bad. He can't run a game. Bad. He showed up late, didn't have anything with him. <laughs> showed up, showed up late. He was drunk again. It was terrible. <laughs> I'm gonna he show up with like, smelled like he smelled like whiskey and dope. It was so bad. This guy's terrible. I'm gonna, <laughs> I should I should totally so it's on Friday at like ten in the morning. I should wake up at like nine forty five. Come here, hair after like a, after up, a but... huge freaking bender, and then like yeah, hair. Yeah, don't take a shower, sunglasses, and just walk in and be like, "All right, you guys here to play some." What are you playing? What, what are we playing? Let's, I don't know what the hell is going on here. Just pull it. Just pull it. Just pull a Tim Cask. You all right? You go, all right? You're all dead. Moving on. Hey, that garbage can. You guys want to move that over here just for a second, man? Just in case. <laughs> nice. All right. Moving on. Anybody got, uh, any, one of anybody our... got any weed at the table? Hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> one of the utter B, one of our utter BSers, one of our patrons, Joe Swick on Google Plus wrote, um, he's got a nice, we got a link out there for it. This is kind of interesting, and it does tie to a point and to the topic of today. Um, just listen to his sort of actual play podcast. He's not listening to the podcast itself. And at the end of the session, one of the players cried after help arrived in a dire situation. <clears throat> Cry? Really? Is this common? So, 
nice. <clears throat> we had a, a kind of a nice little back and forth on the community around it. Um, and I know despite what um, Chris Nizak will have you believe, I have not, I have actually had people cry at my table, not because I've beat them or anything or threatened them um, or, or, you know, stomped on their cat or something in front of them. Um, <clears throat> I did have, I've had men and women cry at my table. Um, it was a pretty intensive game where we played. It was every week, all very personal. Um, it was a kind of horror. It was a vampire game. It was pretty crazy at the time. A lot of fun. But I can definitely see that if you're bought into your character, and Austin talked about this in one of his posts on <clears throat> on our Google Plus page as well, that if you really do care about the character, it's kind of that emotional you know, shot you can get from watching a, a movie that pulls at you or reading a book or something. I could see where that might be possible. Really? And I don't think it's, I don't think it's very common. I'm just, I've seen it. I've made people cry. So. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. Sean's not, Sean's not good if enough you, to make you cry <laughs> at the table. Just saying that right if now. If you've run into, Hey, here's the deal. <laughs> Before I go all crazy. If you have cried, at a D and D game, and it's not from a personal injury or a flying obstacle like a D twenty that's hit you in the face. <clears throat> I want to know who you are. And- <laughs> You're just gonna mock them and point. I'd <laughs> be terrible. I will not mock you, but I will want you in one of my games because I think you could bring some sensitivity to me. That would be well. It could be helpful. I think sometimes I just, I don't, I don't get there. And I think I could use that. I honestly think that. Come on, man. Have you seriously had somebody cry at your table? I did. I had uh, one of the guys I was playing with in college, uh, Brad. I cannot remember his last name. Where's uh, we where's playing. Brad today? Where's Brad today? I think he. He's like that guy. Of, he's like that guy from Bachelor Party. The dude who's just a nervous <laughs> wreck. <laughs> oh, so love you guys. Look at you take it, man. No, 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 no. He's an army she guy. Left, he cried a lot, I loved her, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> He's ex-army, Sean. So we cried a lot. You know what that's like. Oh, um, oh yeah. sorry. Anyway, oh hey. Anyhow, I'm, I'm Sean's ex-army, by the way. So I'm getting a little shit. Anyway, Brad and I were playing. Brad was playing, and his character had built up this very intense um, relationship with um, with this other character and NPC. <clears throat> Just you know, very friendly and the person helped him back and forth all this good stuff and then it turned out that this npc of course that I, I freaking betrayed him and i crushed this huge thing he'd been building destroyed dependent player characters all this stuff and the person who he thought you know had this great friendly love for him and everything was going great turned out to be a complete fuck and he looked at me and i could see that the tears started down his eyes he goes i have to go to the bathroom right now and i said dude that's fine go take a piss and he, he kind of just walked off, and someone else goes, is he crying? I said, nope, he's cool. That's fine. Just keep going. And um, I've had a couple of women I've played with over the years in uh, Amber. Uh, even a D&D game one time was a pretty intensive. Um, it was more role play than um, like hack and slash. And the characters, again, it, come, it came down to very heavy character investment, and then having that an NPC or even a player character, we've had that before, where a player character turns on the other player in a very PvP type environment and they go, Oh my God, you just destroyed a year's where I mean practically a year's worth of real time whatever through this motion. Oh my God, you wrecked all this stuff. And you could see it in people's eyes. 
where they're like, oh, okay. I, you know, I had the one woman get up and say, I, I'll be right back. She wandered off. She had tears running down her face. She came back, cleaned herself up, said, I'm fine. We're, we're good now. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. And on the other hand, I've had my friend Tabby uh, murder her husband's character at the table. <laughs> and I said, are you okay? She goes, yeah. Motherfucker had to die. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Tabby. Easy there, girl. <laughs> so I've had people go from everything from crying about something that's very intense all the way to like just kind of giggling their way through something. So everybody handles the stress of the moment differently. And I think the biggest thing is that if somebody does show that much emotion at your table, that maybe the time it's not an X card moment. It's a time you might say, Hey, let's take a quick break. It might be the time to say, Hey, <clears throat> go outside, smoke if you need one, or Hey, let's, Hey, let's go get another beer. Let's go. Let's do something, but it might be a time for you to take a cue as a game master, even other players, and request a break because it's conceivable that the person right there, how they got to this emotional state, you may or may not know, but they deserve respect and not to be mocked, I think is the main thing. Don't make fun of them because they're having a deep emotional response for something you've done, Sean, you dick. (laughs) Okay. All right, all right, let's get into the main topic of discussion, shall we? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Come on, baby, don't fear it. and feet you try to run you try to scream but no more sun you'll ever see for evil reaches from the crypt to crush you in its icy grip i'm not afraid yeah what he said about fear he said fear is the most subtle and destructive of all human diseases talking about brett can i just say first before i say this if i did not hear don't fear the reaper i was gonna go dude what happened to you but of course like the third the third bit in was don't fear the i'm like okay okay i was right with the world we're good we're good now so i want to talk about fear and horror if nothing else we're gonna drop this episode just before halloween i used to run a um vampire game as i've said many times in the show ran it for a long long time 15 years and we used to have a special Halloween night or as close to Halloween as we could game where we would start at like noon, <clears throat> excuse me, go to about one, two in the morning. We just marathon the fuck out of that game and go, 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 go. And one of the things I've looked at over the years is I have tried to actually scare my players like fear and horror. When I'm running a horror RPG in the past, I used to take it as a challenge to say, can I make these men and women at my table personally afraid? Because <clears throat> that's how I wanted them I want them to feel tension. I want them to feel afraid. So I use different tricks and, and ways to you know change lighting and sound and location and various different things. And I thought, you know, there's games that have mechanics for that. Right? Call of Cthulhu has insanity and there's you, you can make a fear check. You can do all these other types of things. How do you take something that, <clears throat> that intense, it's such an intense emotional response as fear and horror and bring it into a role-playing game? And have it really work. You know, there's a number of times when um, 
I played Call of Cthulhu and I will catch myself going, oh, it's a deep one. Yeah. Ooh, it's a fish frog, man. And they're mating with the people in the seaside village. Oh, not again. And um, <clears throat> sometimes you, you you look at that and go, I, no, wait, I should be my character. My character should be terrified. This is this is a horrible, horrible thing. And I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. Sean, have you ever do you play horror games? Do you play? Do you deal with the fear like that or do you? Is that just another sissy emotion that you, as an old school grognard, do not bother to feel? Uh, yeah, Brett, I look fear dead in that face, man, dead right between the eyes. I, uh -huh. And if I'm playing a game, man, I put an arrow right there. Put it, boom, boom, dead, dead. Fear is gone. However, so do you run? Have you run horror RPGs though? I have not. I uh, I have not run horror RPGs uh, in the truest of senses. I mean, I've run Ravenloft. It might have been years ago. I haven't had a lot of horror and implemented a lot of horror into games, unfortunately. Um, that's a personal shortcoming of mine, Brett, that I actually understand and realize. And I am self-aware. And therefore, I need to take a look at that and probably expand. I got to see if I can push this a little bit and make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway no in all seriousness though the um there is so every halloween i've always wanted to and make it a tradition but i've never i've never i've never pushed it it'd be nice uh, to, to have me, a standing game with some of my one of my groups or something or even just players that said here's the deal like invite maybe so i have like probably i think it's safe to say i could probably say that i have like three game groups in some capacity or another that has like I don't know, five people a piece and then just extend it to all 15 people. And then every year just do a Halloween game. But I don't. I've run, um, I've run a, uh, John wick did a, uh, King in yellow. Uh, basically you're, you're a pack of Nazis in the jungle in Africa. It's, it's a, it's a hoot. And I've usually find that actually fear and the horror, it comes down to, it's easier to be creepy or kind of unnerving, you know, the, the pure actual horror, because I think somewhere in your mind as a player and a game master, you know, you're playing, <clears throat> you know, you're playing a game. So it's hard to absolutely just terrify the shit out of people. But um, I think one of the pieces I've said this before, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but I really think if you get the right group, you can really get into fear and horror type of RPG, the horror, the horror genre. <clears throat> you can play Call of Cthulhu and you can encounter deep ones 10, 15, 20 times. And if it's done right, as as the game master and a player, you can really have a have a heck of a good time with it. And I think that how do I want to do this? Mechanics are really, really helpful for it. Because it's one of those times when I mean I've joked on the on the show before, well, ah, fuck the rules. I don't do that. I don't do this. I don't do that. But having some kind of a mechanic to test sanity, willpower, um, humanity, um, <clears throat> excuse me, things like that that help to break down whether whether the character has to react in a negative way to something that should scare them is um, to me is a pretty is pretty crucial or critical to uh, to play those type of games. Granted, you <clears throat> you can do it right. You can still have people just flat out role play something when there is no mechanic to it. But sometimes I find it's a lot easier to have the mechanic to really help you lean onto it and help and help people out to be able to role play it effectively. So, Sean, you've played 
in like Call of Cthulhu and games like that. Am I right? I've played one Call of Cthulhu game. One. And it was at a game store. I liked it a lot. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, well, I mean, no, you played, well, you played horror on Sesame street. Dude. I did. I, you're right. And so I have played in three call of Cthulhu games. Two of them were D 20 based and two were all, one was at a game store, two were at a con. And, uh, I would say that out of the three, I wasn't afraid or scared. And I think so for a variety of different reasons that we may get into in a bit. Um, one, yeah, there, yes, there you go. Yes, there. I've played in three, but and I wasn't afraid in any of them. Yeah. Hmm. So I think, I think. What so we, what if if you sit down to play yeah. in a horror game with me? Are you expecting that you should you Sean should be scared? Uh, with you. <laughs> God damn it! It's <laughs> kind of a trick question. Nice. <clears throat> I'm all, I'd be always afraid to play with you, Brett. Nice. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Could be. Could be like uh, tune, and I might be afraid to play with you. <laughs> you don't that's know. What, I use real. That's because I use real anvils when <laughs> I play tune. That's why. <laughs> if you don't know what tune is, it's an <laughs> RPG indie, indie, individual independently published RPG where you play tunes and you you bring in all the tropes of tunes. You drop anvils yep. on each other's characters and hold up signs. It's Bugs, and, it's Bugs Bunny go ballistic. Total Bugs Bunny, Wiley Coyote. Anyways, um, so I would expect to be. I don't know if I would expect to be afraid if unless it's genuinely the game that you're going to present like hey if you're known maybe or you have a reputation to, to run Call of Cthulhu and it'd be pretty creepy and and a horror bend to it I think the fear part is is tough to get in any RPG no matter what you're playing um, somebody in the mentioned in the chat room you know, the mechanic behind Dread. So if you don't know what Dread is, uh, again, independently published game, it's, I don't know how many pages, it's a pretty thin rules light game that uses a Jenga tower, but not a Jenga tower, a brick tower or whatever it's called, but it's use get Jenga tower. And when you want to accomplish something, the, you pull out a block and then you, if you succeed, in pulling out the block without collapsing the entire tower, you your task is completed with success. But when things start to get creepy and you're like, okay, I try to do this, and you're like, okay, go ahead and pull a block, and stuff comes, you know, you're like, oh my God, you know, and all those blocks are out after everybody's doing certain things. It has a, uh, a mechanic of suspense, I think. See, I think the suspense and tension piece is what I have found over the years to lean into or to try to leverage to invoke or enforce the horror or fear more than anything else. Okay, you're being chased by a hunting horror, this this zombie or a, a ghoul, something's erupted from the earth in this graveyard, it's, it's chasing you, you've got to climb the fence, it's two rounds behind you, you have two chances to climb the fence, DC 20, go. And you're like, oh, shit, go, dude, we don't have time, go, 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 go. And making people do things quickly and um, using that as like you only have X number of chances to succeed or you will be in combat with the thing. Um, that tension brings out the fear. And I think that was, for me, the only way, when you mentioned Ravenloft, that whenever I've played in a Ravenloft game, the only way Ravenloft has ever made me feel anything other than it's a, it's a gothic D&D game is when the, the dungeon master made it <clears throat> tense through rapid action. Like you you got to do this. Go. 
go roll a die. Oh, you, you roll it. Go, 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 go. You know, that type right. of making, <clears throat> bringing up the tension. Because otherwise, D&D as a mechanic, and this is where I'm at, D&D in and of itself, there is the, I should be able to defeat the monster. I should be able to find a way to beat the thing. In a game like Call of Cthulhu, if you drop an atomic bomb on Great Cthulhu, he dissolves and reforms, and now he's radioactive in the size of a mountain. You, you can't win against some of these, depending on what the game is. Some of these horrors in some of the games, especially a true a Lovecraftian, nihilistic, you're fucked scenario, there's, you can't beat it. You can maybe postpone it or forestall the, the inevitable, but there is no absolute defeat of that, of that monster. <clears throat> so I think, to me, ratcheting up the tension component of it by making people have to go quickly, or even like, look, make a make a sanity check because if you fail that, you're out of the combat. Oh shit! You know, having that immediately, kind of a black or white, if you will, need to win or to succeed at that point. I I agree that Ravenloft is. Not, I don't think it's a scary. I don't think it's a scary horror module. I think it is gothic, like you said, and you can incorporate elements of that. And I do like the suspense piece. Like you start getting going, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, and then if, if it's a failure, you know, bad things happen. So you have this innate anxiety that comes into play. But here, most important, I think when you sit down with any of your players, just like we talk about all every damn episode that's ever been recorded on this podcast is if you're talking to your players and you kind of understand like, Hey, here's the deal. We're going to play this game and this is what it's going to be about. And are you bought into it? Okay, sure. So you talk it all out, but I think it's really important for the players and the GM, including the GM to say, Hey, this is a horror game, you know, take the slapstick shit and leave it at the door. You know, you could have a little comedic relief, but if it's too much, it's going to be, you might as well play a slasher movie and everything's a trope and it's just funny. Yeah. If you're going to do, there are certain things that you that kind of have to go out the door. Like, look, we're going to do this. And this is that communication as you just said right. at the beginning, like, look, this is what we're going to do. The other thing that I found and Austin and I had this conversation once was that sometimes people feel because you can't beat the monster, you cannot beat great Cthulhu. You cannot defeat Nerlathotep. You cannot defeat the great ancient, what the fuck ever God. Um, it's a very, um, unempowering it's this i can't win it can be very a downer type of thing so some people don't like horror games that they don't feel that they can beat it right sure because if you if you read like uh lovecraft book there's nothing you can do you're fucking dead there's nothing that's going to happen um but what i'm getting at is that if that isn't there's different types of horror right there is the there's no hope there's nothing you can do. It's complete nihilism. There is no God. No matter what happens, some horrible entity is going to eat you. But there's always that. The other way is that there's a survival horror, you know, where you try to get through it, as you said, with some of the slasher movies, trying to get through it just to survive until the end. And there, it's kind of like, you know, you have a clock in a wall, like, look, whoever's left at the end of this gets out of the haunted house, or whatever the case is. But <clears throat> so I think the mechanics can help. And one of the ways to help with the mechanics is to do the tension, make things go faster. Um, and I think that some game systems don't really, like I said, D and D to me just doesn't speak to a horror game. You can try to make it work that way, 
But as it stands, I don't think it's a really good way to go. At least that's my perception. And I don't think <clears throat> that um, Call of Cthulhu isn't the only horror game out there. There's Dread. Um, little, there is Little um, Fears. What, little Fears. Um, uh, Pelgrane Press has put out like Fear Itself, Esoteris, um, <clears throat> which are Esoteris is kind of a is kind of a take on um, Delta Green, in my opinion. You have the New World of Darkness stuff that White Wolf came out with before everything changed over there, but they had Slasher, one of the things I was mentioning in the chat room there, which was very much, you know, people versus crazy Slasher people. Um, so there's different there's different types of horror that could that could be defeated. You know, if it's a person, you can beat a person, perhaps. It doesn't always have to be supernatural horror. Or can you? <laughs> yeah, there's that. Hey man, Michael Myers and uh, Jason and Freddie and those guys, they, they didn't go down easy. No, they did not. Now the other piece is that horror can be a component of a game system. Art and Gamer F on the other in a, in the chat room were saying, you know, something around you know, horrors invoked in a war zone to a non combatant or or dealing with that type of thing. There's all sorts of um oh that's Austin. Thank you, Austin. <laughs> um so um there are ways to I didn't, didn't know who he was there. But there are ways to take horror and, and feather it into a game system. But you have to, it has to be done, I don't want to say just right. But if in, if the game has been pretty slapstick D&D up to the point, like, look, everything's been kind of tropey, you're having a lot of fun with it. They'll say, no, no, dude, look, this is real, man. This is gritty. This is gritty combat. You just saw this thing happen. And then it comes out of the blue, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Now I'm supposed to care? I mean, I've been slaughtering cobalt babies and I've killed orc women and children for the past 10 levels. And now all of a sudden I should be w worried about this thing. Really? Well, it's um, kind of like sitting in the, it's like going to a comedy show and then expecting to like be afraid. You gotta be in the right, you gotta have the right mood and you gotta set the right tone. If you don't do that, it, it's going to be ridiculous. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. I think, so from a tone perspective, one of the other things I have done, it's kind of kind of kitschy. I know some people aren't huge onto it, but I remember reading um John Tynes had a he was a he was big on Delta Green and he did uh, Puppet Land, which was a uh, Punch and Judy from Hell craziness, and he had a series of articles about how to scare the shit out of your players because his perspective was <clears throat> to have um basically you know get yell at people, scream at them, throw a chair across the floor you know, physically just act intimidating or frightening and, um, <clears throat> and other types of things, you know, pacing around the room, whispering and so forth. Um, I have done the bit where my preference for running a horror game tends to be, I like to run them at night. I like it in a room, curtains closed. I like to dim the lights a little bit. That mood, that physical, that physical mood you can set just in the room itself, just that stage setting. You take a, you know, take a piece from focal point by uh by the guys from Gnome Stew and you you set the room and that really really helps and you clear some of the distractions you know if there's you only have bare minimum on the table you know if, put the snacks in a different place do something different but you you can set a tone at the table to help get people focused on what's supposed to happen and again consistency 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 so you don't get all crazy slapsticky um in at the inappropriate times yeah man absolutely Huge. You got to do that. If you don't, it's going to, it's not, it, it's not going to work. So 
when you think horror, Sean, are there certain tropes or things that you're like, if you sit down and I say, hey, it's a murderous clown, it's another fish person, it's or if it's one of Brett's games, oh, it's dead babies. Um, that doesn't scare me anymore. Well, are that's because things, your are, players have become numb to it, it, dude. I've numbed it. I've numbed, numbed it. it. They're like, dude, that's the norm. <clears throat> so the more um, Call of Cthulhu adventures I read and so on, a lot of or a lot of people who have talked about that, you know, fighting certain Cthulhu himself and deep ones and so forth seems kind of boring. Is there any horror piece, Sean, that you would be like, oh, it's a vampire. I don't freaking care. I don't want to fight vampires. Yeah, is there any remove remove Cthulhu? Remove the you know what you should do is make it and and if you're gonna do a Call of Cthulhu game, make it the freaking myth. So remove all that bullshit monster crap that everybody thinks is gonna happen all the time at the end of the scenario and whatever, and focus in on some of the cultists and the wackiness that they think has to be done in order to summon one of these mythical monsters mythical old ones right because you you could take that into a modern setting where it's like people are sacrificing crazy stuff and you come in and it's you know it's apocalypse now where they're kind of doing it for no reason they're just fucking nuts crazy like there is a well i mean yeah they're 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 doing it for a reason though it's just Something that well, you're not used to. Crazy people have reasons. Well, They're just fucking crazy reasons. Well, right. But yes. But I mean, they think it's helping summon something. And, you know, they could be describing the slaughter of an animal or another person. You know, you got to put it to a level that's kind of crazy when you're describing it to the group and with the tone that if they can picture it, they're going, Oh, you know, that's, that's creepy shit, man. That is, this is totally out of control, out of hand, man. Like, this uh, evil must be stopped. After they gather their <clears throat> proverbial shit, right? Like, yeah, exactly. you know, they got to, they're done pissing their pants. Oh my God, let's do something about it. it. You know, b- b- kids, you know, cre- kids are creepy. Uh, clowns are creepy to me. I don't know. As long as they're not like Bozo the Clown, but. Clowns are freaking creepy. I mean, American Horror Story, um, the the television series, if you haven't looked at that, good inspiration on some of the stuff. But they did yes. uh, Freak Show, and it was based on a circus trope, uh, troupe that had a lot of freaks in it. And so that was goofy, and it had a clown that has like had his, half his jaw removed, and so he had like a mask that was only below his cheekbones and strapped around his face. And then when he removed it, it was like, whoa that's freaking crazy his jaws completely gone and spoilers jaws completely gone teeth completely rotted you know i mean just you gotta take it to a level when you're describing it that freaks people the f out and then i think then you start setting the mood to be really kooky and crazy or you got the guy that just doesn't blink all the time and just sits there and never blinks. He stares at you. Yeah. He stares at you and always talks in a really casual, monotone voice. And maybe they're the front office guy, right? There's they're not, you know, they're dressed in like a weird tuxedo. And he always talks in the same voice. Really nice and never blinks. You know, it's just like this weird, goofy stuff that you're like, you walk away and you're like, all right, 
there's obviously something not right with that guy. And then they just kind of on top of each other. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, before you know it, you're an hour or two into a game and people are like, I don't know what the hell is going on. You, you put things where people like you hear something, I go and look, there's nothing there. There's an interesting piece of what you just said that when we get an hour or two into it, there's an interesting thing I've found running. If I've done it right and and it's feeling really good and everybody's really into it. Those games that have fear, tension, horror, or just disgust, or they're worried about something or creep factor for certain components. That's a time when the cell phone goes off to the right. The notes go away. The dice towers stop and everybody at the table, whether it's happening to your player or not, your character or not, just stops and goes, what, what, what did he just say? And they start looking and listening and really, really paying attention because it's fucking creepy. Now, you get the guy that said, you get the guy that's like at the desk and always is monotone and never blinks. And then in one scene, he just starts like that and then goes bonkers, like apeshit bonkers, like just fucking, you know, pounding on the table as a GM. And you're like, Argh! and it gets in your face and people are like, you know, you get a player that's like, whoa, dude, hold on, man. No, there's a way though that, so where I'm going here now is that if you, and we talked about this while back, I can't remember which episode. So if you don't remember either, start at one, listen forward, um, overused. And there's a component to me of horror, fear, tension, and uh, terror, and the, all this stuff that you can overdo it. And I don't know. For me, um, some of it is uh, the vampire RPG. I loved it when I played it. I think I played too goddamn much of it without much of a break. I have no interest in going back, even at this point. Um, Sean, do you see, and I know, you, like you say, you haven't played a lot of it, but part of me wonders or worries if... I run or play too much of that stuff like I have in the past, then it becomes like, oh, it's another corrupt official, and oh, yes, oh, another great horror, and, oh, yes, I'm terrified. Even if the description is new and crazy, it's the guy that doesn't blink. It's Freak Show versus Insane Asylum versus of this other than that. There is, <laughs> sounds kind of like I'm a parent going, I'm worried about my child being desensitized to violence. I'm actually worried about my gamers and myself being desensitized in a way to the setting to the horror to the horror game like oh yeah it's another deep one it's another vampire it's another zombie it's another freaky thing at the circus well or office or whatever the case is i think if you run horror uh, uh, a, a horror based game or campaign it's got to be either a one shot or it's got to be a very limited set of adventures i don't think it lends itself well to a full multi year campaign approach I think you can do it, but I don't think you can expect people to be afraid every time you sit down for that long amount of time. You know, there the Trail of Cthulhu has some very long campaigns and some very thick um, modules, right? They have one. They have what? The Armitage one really file? long one. Don't they have the well, Armitage, Armitage Files? Is a, is a sizable book, but if you're talking about a big epic one, they've got their um, oh yeah, shit, true lies or eternal yeah, lies. Uh, Eternalize, yes, no. which I have. So I think that's a happy one. But I think at the Master same time, that's another big one. Well, I think it's the same time. So at the same and what murder on the Orient Express, or another big one, or on the Orient. Yep. But it, the thing is, is that I think if I sat down with you, and I was part of your group, and you were running, okay, even if it was a limited time, and then we were going to play again, and Brett's going to run again, unless Brett changes it up drastically from one game to the next. It's not going to be, it may not have it, it it'll wear off maybe. But if I, Brett's always going to run one at a con once a year or 
you know, Gamehole Khan, Gary Khan, you know, Everest Khan, Evercon. Yeah, Evercon, yep. Right? And it's maybe I join every time because Brett puts on one all the time and it's really good. And maybe I haven't sat in on that one game, but he pulls it off really well, then that's fine. But I think they lend itself like, hey, he's going to run a horror horror game and I'm going to join for four hours. It's going to be a horror game. But if I play in Brett's game again, maybe some of those things, maybe use the same tropes all the time, but it works uh, awesome when there's different players. But I mean, like okay. the dead babies thing, right? You run yeah. dead baby. I mean, if I didn't run into dead babies, I'd be like, holy shit, this is crazy. But if you do it and I'm in your game group and it's like, Oh, no, oh dead babies, right? Way to go. You right. overused that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Things swinging from trees. Like, what the? I mean, I think oh, hey, yeah, more of those. Got to be just kooky, creepy stuff. I got to go. Uh, there was stuff that freaks the crap out of me when I was a kid, and I think that's got to come back. I got to talk to your mom, see what, see what you used to be terrified of. I can tell out. you. I can tell you things <laughs> that we did. I mean, abandoned farmhouses in the middle of the night, man, and there's nothing out there, and you drive by them during the day all over Wisconsin. My wife's like, serial killer lives there. Serial killer lives there. Serial killer lives there. Because they're they're creepy. Even in the daytime, it's like, who lives there? What's that all about? Where's the story? Who's been there? And then you yeah, watch watch True Detective HBO's the first season of True Detective. That's creepy as shit too. Anyways, okay. So, Sean, if I were going to say that we're going to run a horror game, do you expect? That it is is it something that you would expect could be slotted into any game system, or do you think that the mechanics really? We touched on this at the beginning, kind of went off on that a little bit. But do mechanics really help you there? Are you ex, are you expecting mechanics to show up and help you say, "Oh, click, click, click"? The dice say, or the chips say, or the aspect says, "I'm insane now," or "I've lost humanity points," or "I've I'm afraid." Do you expect that to be there to help you? role play your character effectively or do you just think eh, I'll figure that out I just freaking broke my bottle man did you <laughs> here I am opening oh. a beer and I've the freaking bottle just it? cracked well there's that one's down the tubes um yeah. sorry talk about talk about horror I think Kevin Lovecraft is just pissing himself right now. I, oh you broke my beer ah! I could have well, I could have drank it still and then have like blood coming out of Flash. my throat Glass shards in your mouth. Oh, what you, oh that's so, great, Sean. I love it. Oh, perfect for the show, man. Awesome. Really, all, all over the top, brother. Um, I think games, some games probably capture horror better than others. Um, but I still think it comes down to the mood and tone and in the environment. Um, do you, but do you want a mechanic there to help you role play? If, if, I mean, it, if it happens, like if you've got dread and you're working with. Um, a Jenga tower, certainly great, but I don't, some people like dread and some people will not like dread, but you don't see that as a requirement for you to enjoy that game. I don't think it's a requirement, but it's nice to play a game that may help incorporate the feel. Okay. That's my two cents. I really do think that some games are designed for it or at least have enough features of it. D&D 3.0 and 3.5 tried the Heroes of Horror. I have that little splatbook hardcover they put out. They tried to add some of it in it. And kind of like Ravenloft tried to bring it in. It always feels a little bolted on. Like not a really nice bolted on. Just a really <laughs> very obvious, you know, glaring inconsistency uh, tacked onto something. 
Um, but I, I, I've also known people that have just loved the hell out of Ravenloft. It did really well and they had a good time with it, but whether or not they, they were doing it simply so that they could be afraid or something, or they just like this, like to, you know, kill vampires all the time or something. I'm not sure. But what was that point for Sean? You didn't see my cat up there. No, I missed your cat. Animals can be creepy too. Oh yeah. Oh, I love that. Cats are fun to be creepy with. Creepy cats. So you don't, you honestly, you don't, I, I, you know what, Sean, I'm going to challenge you, man. You got to run a horror game. You got to figure out how to do that. All right. Next time, uh, at next con, I will run a horror game. Next time you thing run is, a horror it's got to be like, I'm going to have to run it at like midnight to 4 a.m. or 10 to 2 or some crazy shit in a, in a room with really dim lighting, you know, pick out the guests. I mean, if they register, that's cool. But, you know, I, I got to have some creepy dude there, creepy dude or woman who's like dressed up, but you can't see their face. It just, they, they, they help assist me. Maybe they welcome the players. They never <laughs> say, never say a word, you know, just something like that. Like, Hey, come on in. And they don't say any, but you know, they just kind of gesture. You don't see you don't their want to face. Be inter- I'd be interested to see. I mean, you've only played a couple of them, but uh, any listeners out there who've had really good kick-ass horror experiences with games, what, <clears throat> what games they are. I don't necessarily need to know who ran it, but, was it like the scary ass game of D and D, and you guys were just living through the horrors of war? Was it a terrifying game? Because again, it's not just all about monsters and axe murders. There's various different levels of it. You watch Band of Brothers. There's certain points that are freaking scary as shit. Um, you know the, these guys, World War Two, getting a ship beat out of them and blown up all around them. It's scary stuff. Jacob's you know, ladder, man. About it. Jacob's ladder. Jacob's ladder. <laughs> Jacob's ladder. That's fucking creepy as hell. <laughs> um. So again, it's not always that supernatural weirdness, but I mean, I'm interested and uh, I'd love to hear what other folks have to say. I'm sure there's better ways. Sean, I only have a little bit of time every, uh, every week to chat about this stuff. I'm sure there's better ways to do it than what we've thrown out there. And we probably have bandied around the topic more than and not gone to our usual point as we should have. But no, that's right. I think they're, I think they're fun. I think a really good, um, a really good horror game has, even if you can't get people, the players themselves, I've, migrated away from I want to scare my players down to I want them to feel tense and nervous because that is something I can invoke and force easier than I can actual fear because it's hard to say what someone is or isn't afraid of but it's easier for me to ramp up the um, the tension and the nervous factor of it like go 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 you know make things happen quickly you know then slowing things down speeding them up the tempo changes and so forth can be a lot of fun but I really do like trying to keep a certain level of seriousness in my games when I can, because then when the opportunity presents itself, even in a D&D game or, uh, or a Savage Worlds game or something, you can drop the, <clears throat> this should be scary, or this should creep your character out vibe, because you haven't been crazy slapstick. Now, granted, my group and I would get, you know, somebody will, you'll, you'll come up with an NPC's name, somebody starts making fun of it, and then you're fucked because you, you're going to have the giggles for half an hour. But you can turn it around. You know, you can you can kill that <clears throat> and then pull it back in. But I think, uh, I really think fear, horror, and that tension and nervousness is a lot of fun and can really make, um, can really make for some good gaming. I think it's a lot of fun. All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about sponsor quick, hey? Let's do it. All right. Uh, so here's the deal. If you got a dice bag or you need a dice bag, you need to head over to grayed out, G-R-E-Y-E-D-O-U-T dot Etsy dot com. 
as Brett is holding up in our video, is one of the products. Go and buy a dice bag from Michael Allhauser at gradeout.etsy.com. Uh, gaming NBS, 10%, right? Yeah, use the promo code gaming NBS, get 10% off your order. He does, he's got some uh, typical, pa- or typical patterns that he has in stock that you can choose from, or you can custom make it. Maybe you've got a logo that you want to put on there, your initials. Maybe your game group's got some kind of logo that you want on there. Christmas. He's done custom work for me for the past three years. He's always pulled it off. He just did a custom one for my buddy Lenny. So right. it looks really great. That's right. I saw that. Holidays are coming up. Buy one for a gamer that you know. It's got two drawstrings. They're they're thick cloth. Uh, yep. They stand up so you can just kind of pick out the dice if you want and keep it in there. But otherwise, support the show. Support Michael um, and go head over and grab a dice bag. Absolutely. All right, let's get into die roll. Oh, roll. Die roll. Part of the show where we pull up two to four miscellaneous points of gaming or geekery we want to share with you. Brett has three, I have two. And, and yeah. it, before we go into that, Brett, we talked about okay. this a little bit. And one thing that I'd like to see happen, if you are up for it, and I say you as in whoever, you, the listener, person, if you have something that you want us to talk about during Dice Bag and bring it up to the community at large. Die roll, actually, but that's okay. What did I say? Dice Bag? You said Dice Bag. Yeah. Just, I'm, I'm like 30 seconds behind. Die that's roll. Okay. Keep it going. If you got something you want to suggest for Die Roll, hit us up on Facebook. Say, hey, I got an idea for Die Roll. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, or Google Plus, or our email at gamingnbs at gmail.com. We're at Gaming NBS on Twitter. We're at Gaming NBS Podcast, I believe, on Facebook. And then we're at, I don't know what the heck our handle is on Google+. You'll find us. But anyways, yeah. So Brett and I usually whip these up and around. But I mean, if you know of some that you want to bring, I mean, it could be anything that you should think gamers and geeks, excuse me, should know about. Let us know and we'll mention you on the on the show. Absolutely. All right. So, Brett, do you want to start off this week? Sure thing. What have I got? Three, as you said. So, He Never Died. It's a movie. I happened upon this trailer um, on Facebook while cruising around. Henry Rollins plays Kane, as in um, Adam and Eve's son, Kane. Never Died. It looks like this really fun. Um, speaking of horror, it just, it looks, it's dark, it's brutal, and uh, it's going to have enough of that kind of horror comedy to it like oh god that's that's not good you've got a couple of those moments it's it looks great i'm a i'm a henry Rollins fan so that's just gonna be fucking awesome i gotta find that movie when it's out second one i have is uh <clears throat> speaking of uh sean's perspective last week i, I threw one out there and kevin uh kev Thulu, kevin lovecraft one of our buddies here um six consequences of high magic he had put this up in our google plus community and i've got the link out there in the show notes and basically it's, it's kind of cool to talk. And I've, there was a dragon magazine ages past that I remember reading about this, but it goes into like, Hey, super high magic. Um, no need for sickness, no armies. Oh, by the way, we've got gods walking the earth. What could that do to people? Um, what does that do? It's this, if nothing else, it's a neat way to think about high magic in games and so forth. Kind of cool stuff. The last one I had is, um, again, in honor of the horror aspect, ancient human sacrifice in Wisconsin, smithsonianmagazine.com i got the link out there um there is uh, evidence of potential human sacrifice 
in a uh, section of uh, basically prehistorical Wisconsin. Looks kind of cool. So put that little, it's a video on the Smithsonian uh, website there. So kind of cool. Figured I'd throw that out. Have people take a look at it because you can never, never have too many plot concepts or ideas for your games. Sean, over to you, sir. All right. So mine, if you're a Rifts player, yeah, I've got something for you. There's a Rifts character sheet for you um, that I'll, it's uh, somebody made up. It's uh, off of Google Drive. Check it out if you're a Rifts aficionado and want to take a look at uh, a character sheet. Mutants, number two, Mutants and Masterminds, Shoots for the Stars. ICV2 has an article for Mutants and Masterminds, and if you're not familiar with that game, it's by Green Ronin Publishing, and based off of D20. It's a supers-based game and has been around for a while. I believe the, they, I don't know if they're at fifth edition. I know they were at fourth at least. But with this one, it's a new intergalactic supplement, hence the Shoots for the Stars piece of it. Um, so it's 144 pages, full color, soft co- cover, as an MSRP of 29.95, and release is planned for December. So if you want to play Silver Surfer or whatever, man, Silver Surfer trademark by Marvel, of course, of course. But if you want to build your own version, something similar to that, check it out. All right. I think that's it for this show, eh, buddy? I think we're good, man. All righty, righty, righty. So this show has been brought to you by patrons and utter BSers, Joe Swick, Kev Dulua, Jeff Rademacher, amongst others. If you want to support the show, check that out. Otherwise, tell somebody, hey, if you like what you hear, tell somebody. Absolutely. This is fun. We like doing this. We're having a good time. Yeah. So far, no one's told us to stop. So we're going to keep going. Yeah. And even if you do tell us to stop, we don't take advice too well. So. Right. Thanks for listening to the show. Appreciate it. All your support. One way or the other. I'm one of your co-hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all. 